0: Saw some reports that La Nina is forecast through the end of the year and potentially to the start to 20 uh, start 2023. I'm curious, from your perspective, are, are you seeing those same reports and, and what are what are you forecasting in regards to La Nina?
1: It's rare that we get back to back to back La Ninas, but they do happen. And maybe the last time this happened, it was like 98, 99 and 2000, those those winters when it occurred. So we look at the current situation, the ocean temperatures have stayed pretty cold compared to normal through May and now early June, and some of the new long-range forecasts, in fact, I can't find a single forecast uh, for La Nina that comes from most reliable sources that suggest uh, it won't stick around. So latest one came out from the Columbia University IRI group, and they give the probability of keeping La Nina around somewhere between 50 and 60 percent. But uh, the chances of an El Nino developing, they have far less than 10%. So, uh, yeah, you look at that plus the global models and, and things are starting to really shape up to keep the colder temperatures around across the central uh moving forward.
0: Well, let's, uh, uh, Eric, let's break this down by kind of growing regions uh, here in the U.S. And in regards to what does if La Nina is going to stay, what does that mean Um, for producers in each of the regions as we look to the summer and get into the fall. So let's start with the Western Corn Belt. That's where I'm at. Uh, What's kind of that long-term forecast in regards to La Nina for that region?
1: Well, unfortunately, it's not just the Western Corn Belt, but the Western and Central Corn Belt that really deal with risk of having flashes of drought and heat. Uh, And that's simply because uh, way out West, I'm talking about the West Coast, we typically have troughs of lower pressure that tend to develop more often uh, than anything else when we have a La Nina. So the pattern favors that cooler weather west, and then therefore in the central United States and the western Corn Belt, we just tend to see more ridging events. Like the one we're seeing right now, here On the 13th, we're cranking temperatures up well past 100, 105 degrees in parts of central Nebraska. The worry is with this continued impact that La Nina has on the jet stream flow, we might see that more often than not as we go through the end of June and into the month of July.
0: So so it would be fair to say with that, that um, drought could persist and potentially even intensify depending on whether or not timely rains come.
1: That's right. And, and what would give you the timely rains is if we can get the ridge to back up and get over the western mountains and then get some northwest flow, bring in some good storms uh, on some gulf moisture that could just, you know, buy time. And, and that's all what we're trying to do in the middle of the season is buy time between events that you know could be more impactful on on the crops so yeah it doesn't just get stuck and stay one way for for weeks and weeks and weeks on to end it's just a matter of when it does break down do we get the, the necessary moisture in place to take advantage of that to get some rain but in between it can get pretty hot and flash drought conditions i mean we see evaporation rates up over three inches a week when you get these temperatures this hot throughout the uh, central and southern plains
0: that's the western and central corn belt uh eric well let's talk eastern corn belt
1: Well, the thing about the ridge placement is what we call ridge riding storms, and so therefore we think that if the main ridge axis sets up west of the 100th meridian, then you get over into parts of Wisconsin, Michigan, Indiana, Ohio, even Illinois, but into Kentucky and and Tennessee. You tend to get these storms flowing out of the northwest. Uh, They often tend to produce linear features like long squall lines, but they deliver the rain. So it ends up being something where we tend to split the corn belts, uh, you know, along the Mississippi River. You get east of it, better moisture, west of it, you struggle for moisture. Now, that is to say, if the ridge sets up along the 100th Meridian or west of it. Now, here's what I'm watching. There are some indications that we might have a slowly advancing ridge at times. It's gonna start out there on the western plains and then move its way all the way to the east. So that just kind of spreads that drought risk out over a larger area which means I can't really identify one part of the Corn Belt and say, no, 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 you're going to be protected in this pattern while other places are going to suffer. I, I think there could be risks across the whole of it with this particular setup.
0: And then to just talk for a moment. What, what's the Delta region going to experience?
1: Well, the Delta regions, I, to be honest, the region we should be watching out for most, I, I think, get most of our attention. Here's why. So our moisture that comes into the central Corn Belt going to come out of the gulf of mexico and what's in between the two things it's the delta right so if that area goes over hotter and drier and the models are suggesting that it will not just over the next couple of weeks but possibly extending out uh into early and mid-july then that means you dry that air over the delta when the moisture does try to return the delta takes it first it doesn't advance back up into the midwest so i'm going to watch that carefully But the Delta has another avenue by which to get moisture should they get dry, and it comes from tropical systems. And with La Nina, we do expect for the Atlantic and the Caribbean and the Gulf of Mexico to be more of a conducive environment to to developing tropical systems. And that's primarily because the water temperatures are already warm, and La Nina events tend to reduce wind shear in the Atlantic while increasing it in the Pacific. And wind shear is just something where you get a change in wind speed and direction with height. It often disrupts developing hurricanes and limits their their further development.
0: Okay, so Eric, let's maybe take a step back. Appreciate all of the comments there throughout um, Mm -hmm. those regions, but I'm curious, what's maybe the best way to summarize the long-term outlook here for La Nina, uh, maybe just for the industry as a whole? What would you say is kind of maybe the one pulling thought here?
1: Yeah, the big thought here is that we've yet to see something this spring and now heading towards summer uh, that could, that's really just knocked La Nina out. It, it's persisted, and the ocean temperatures in the North Pacific have behaved accordingly as well. That's where you get that cooler water along the West Coast. So, those two things basically give the, the whole setup across the Pacific quite a bit of momentum. And if we just don't lose those trade winds and keep them up pretty strong, then you'll get through fall and all of a sudden back into just a more friendly time of year for an ENSO event like La Nina to just show back up again. But it is important to know we're talking about something that's, you know, what, six, seven, eight months away. And as always in atmospheric sciences and meteorology, things can change and we'll just keep aware of it.
0: Eric, anything else you want to add? You know, I I
1: tell you real quick on a global tour, you know, we did almost have a pretty big area over the weekend in South America and southern Brazil that had some frost damage. I'll be interested to see what the reports come out there. Europe is pretty hot and dry from Spain and Portugal through France all the way over to Ukraine. has had some limited moisture as of late, showing up drier in the forecast. And even over in China, uh, the North China Plain, which is north and west of Beijing, they've actually shown up with some drier and warmer conditions in the forecast. So it's kind of hard to find a spot across the northern hemisphere that's just, you know, kind of hitting home runs right now with great weather.
0: Well, I've got to follow up on on that, uh, and maybe the, if this is out of out of your expertise, then then let me know. But I'm curious. It sounds like that those types of weather conditions aren't necessarily conducive for optimal uh, crop production. Uh, what's that relationship that you're seeing from a global crop production standpoint in some of these key global growing areas? Well,
1: I think the relationship is that we know the balance sheet's already pretty tight, and we know. Uh, broader impacts going on across the economy right now, which is making commodities something that uh, are going to see some very volatile price movement while all of these things shift around. And we're still at the stage where across the northern hemisphere, the whole crop is mostly in, in some sort of vegetative stage, right? It's not yet to the reproductive stage, meaning there's risk still on the table. So I guess the way I'd interpret it is if markets are looking for a weather scare, they might they might be able to find it a little bit easier than previous years.
0: And then in terms of uh, that was the markets, what about overall crop production? What's your expectation on that?
1: Yeah, you know, we've seen the USDA come down on the number here for the United States. And I think mostly, and myself included, uh, that made sense given trouble we had with early planting. If we do get into a time period, and I'll, I'll give you a date range to watch, about July 10th through about July 25th, I think that's when a lot of the corn belt crop is going to be going into pollination given when it finally got planted if we see some stress in there i wouldn't be surprised for that number to peel back even more Um, we don't yet know how much ukraine planted and if they planted more uh, wheat than they did spring wheat than they did corn and soybeans Uh, but that you know that could limit the production number as well and you know there's some unknowns about uh, what what china went after in terms of the crop again this year too given uh, the, the, the shifting around of what was planted given the early season price rallies we saw. So I, I think it's this is still largely an unknown number. Uh, and at this point, we, we kind of just use the best guidance, which is coming from those big ag centers like the USDA and stuff like that.